Lord, I help. I pray you to help me to just be able to say the things you would have me to say. And uh, we don't need to be very long tonight. But help us to just get what you want us to get from this from the scriptures, Father. We love you in your precious name. I pray. Amen. All right. Well, we're continuing our uh, study through the life of Joseph. And if you remember from last week, uh, Joseph sent his brethren to his, uh, his father, Jacob, to bring him to Egypt. And we, we finished up with Jacob right before he left the land of Canaan. Remember, he stopped and he made a sacrifice unto God. And he just verified that this was God's will. And he verified that, that this is what God wanted him to do. And if you remember from last week, we were talking about how Abraham went down into Egypt because of a famine and it wasn't God's will. And we talked about how Isaac was forbidden to go down into Egypt because of a famine, because it wasn't God's will. And Jacob, as he got into those wagons that Joseph sent, he was probably thinking in his head and running through those stories of when Abraham got in trouble in Egypt because he went somewhere he shouldn't have gone. He left Canaan to go to Egypt because of a famine. Isaac got in trouble with God because he left Canaan to go down to Egypt because of a famine. And Jacob thought to himself, I'm leaving Canaan to go down to Egypt because of a famine. And I better just stop for a second and make sure that this was exactly what God wants. And he, you know, he stopped there, there in Beersheba, right before he gets out of Canaan. And he makes a sacrifice to God. And if you remember, God spoke with him and told him, Jacob, this is okay. And we're talking about how, you know, just because it looks good, and just because everybody says it's a good idea, and just because, you know, it seems like the rational and logical move to make, you always need to make sure that when you're taking a step, you're taking a step in the will of God. And Jacob got that approval from God, and he said, let's go. And now we find him... Coming into Egypt, and if you look at verse 26, him and his family come into Egypt. It says, All the souls that came with Jacob into Egypt, which came out of his loins, beside Jacob's son's wife, uh, all the souls were three and six, three score and six. And the sons of Joseph, which were born him in Egypt, were two souls. And the souls of the house of Jacob, which came into Egypt, were three score and ten. And he sent Judah before him unto Joseph to direct his face unto Goshen, and they came into the land of Goshen. And you see there in verse 28 that now Judah and Joseph have a special relationship. You know, he sends Judah before to talk with Joseph and to get things ready there. But if you look at verse number 29, we find Joseph and Jacob finally reunited. It says, And Joseph made ready his chariot, and went up to meet Israel his father, to Goshen, and presented himself unto him, and fell on his neck, and wept on his neck a good while. You know, and it's, don't just pass by those verses as you're, could you imagine, you know, I always like to get into the story. When I'm reading it, I like to get into it. Can you imagine Joseph, after years and years and years and years of wanting to see his father, not seeing his father, not seeing his family, he's getting ready, probably putting on his best clothes on, putting his best suit on, getting down, he goes down to Goshen, and the Bible says when he finally meets them, it doesn't tell us they even say anything to him, it doesn't tell us that they even speak anything, he just falls on his neck, the Bible says, and he weep, uh, uh, wept on his neck a good while. And I don't know how long a good while is, but I'm sure it was a good while. I'm sure they just had one of those moments. Well, he's finally reunited with his father. And if you look at verse number... 30, the Bible says, And Israel said unto Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen thy face, because thou art yet alive. And Joseph said unto his brethren, and unto his father's house, 
I will go up. Notice what he says. I will go up and show Pharaoh and say unto him, My brethren and my father's house, which are in the land of Canaan, are come unto me. Notice Joseph takes on a new role. When his father and his brethren come into Egypt, he takes on this new role. Remember how I told you, and I've been showing you all throughout the life of Joseph, that Joseph is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ, and Joseph fits the characteristics and fits the roles of the Lord Jesus Christ so clearly throughout the story. Well, here we find Joseph fitting yet one more character of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's this role of the mediator. Joseph becomes a mediator, between his brethren and the king. See, his brethren could not approach Pharaoh. Talk about a culture shock. I mean, his, bre- his brethren were herdsmen. They were shepherds. They had cattle. They were rough and tumble type, farmer type, rugged type, you know, a people. Pharaoh was a, the king of the most powerful nation on earth at that time. Pharaoh was probably a very well-dressed, a very educated, a very, you know, they saw him as divinity. They saw him as a man-god. And, and, and you know, could you imagine Joseph's brethren just walking in to meet Pharaoh? It couldn't happen. They needed a go-between. And Joseph fit that characteristic. And here's the beautiful thing about Joseph being the mediator. Go with me. Go back to Genesis 41. And look at verse 45. Genesis 41 and look at verse 45. Do you remember when Joseph first met Pharaoh and Pharaoh brought him out of the prison and Pharaoh lifted him up and and made him the second most powerful man in Egypt? Do you remember what Pharaoh did? Look at verse 45 of Genesis 41. The Bible says, And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Saphnath-Paneah. And he gave him to wife Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On. And Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. Joseph was not known as Joseph in Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph a new name. His name was Saphnath-Paneah. And with that new name came a new identity. See, Joseph was able, and you can go back to Genesis 46, but I want you to understand this, and I hope I'm explaining it okay. Joseph was able to be the perfect mediator between his brethren and Pharaoh, because Joseph lived both lives. Joseph grew up with Jacob, with his brothers, as a herdsman, as a shepherd boy, uh, you know, with cattle. He understood that lifestyle. He understood their God. He understood their culture. He understood everything about them. He could identify with them. He knew their needs. He knew their wants. He knew them. But at the same time, Joseph has now spent many years in in Pharaoh's court in Egypt, not as Joseph, but as Sadnathaniah, or whatever his name is. He's now also very familiar with Pharaoh and Egypt's culture and Egypt's way of living and their clothing and their style. He knows Pharaoh. He understands Pharaoh. He's worked with Pharaoh. And Joseph is the perfect mediator between his brethren and between the king. He understands his brethren. He understands the king. And he can go in between both of them. And that's a beautiful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you go with me to the New Testament, to Hebrews chapter number 4 in the New Testament there... 
Hebrews chapter number 4, and you'll see something about the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says, all throughout the Bible, you find the Lord Jesus Christ being referred to as the Son of God. But also, all throughout the Bible, you find the Lord Jesus Christ being referred to as the Son of Man. And you say, well, which one is it? Is He the Son of God or is He the Son of Man? And here's what you got to understand, He's both. Jesus was 100% God. But at the same time, He was 100% man. And the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter number 4, if you look at verse 14, the Bible says, Seeing then, that we have a great high priest, that's our mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ, that is passed on, that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Look what it says, verse 15. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. The Bible says, we, it says we do not have, we have, we not, we have not an high priest that cannot be touched. That's a double negative. What he's saying is, we do have a high priest that can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. The Bible says that our high priest feels our infirmities. He feels our weaknesses. He feels our pain. He understands our culture. He understands who we are. It says we have not an high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are. But here's the difference. Yet without sin. Bible says, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And here's what you understand. The Bible says that Jesus Christ was 100% man. And the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is our brother. Why? Because He was the Son of Man. He understands our infirmities. He understands our sin. Say, so God understands our sin. He is without sin. Yeah, but the Bible also tells us that He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. The Bible tells us that He took our sins on on Himself, on the cross, and He paid the wages of our sin. So He understands you and I. He understands the weakness and the temptation that comes with being a man, with being a human. But at the same time, Jesus was like Joseph. He understood his brothers. But at the same time, He was like Sabbath And He understood God. He understood the kingdom because he was tempted like we are, yet without sin. Go with me to 1 Timothy chapter number 2. Look at verse 5. 1 Timothy, you go towards the left in your New Testament there, towards 1 Timothy. Look at chapter number 2 and verse 5. Look what the Bible says about the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says, 1 Timothy 2.5, it says, For there is one God... And one mediator between God and man. Who is it? Look what it says. Isn't this beautiful? The man. Notice what the... The Bible doesn't just put words in there, just to put words. Everything's in there for a reason. He says, the man, Christ Jesus. Why could He be a mediator for us? Because He was man and God. Because He was a high priest that could be touched with our infirmities. He was 100% man. He was 100% God. And the same one, Joseph, was 100% an Israelite. Was 100% a Hebrew. Was 100% a Jew. But at the same time, He was 100% Egyptian royalty. At the same time, He was 100% Egyptian hierarchy. And He was a perfect mediator between His brothers and the king. And the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is the mediator between God and man. And I want you to notice this. It says, there is one God and one mediator. There is no other mediator. 
Tonight, I don't have to go to a priest in some confessional booth and confess my sins to him and have him mediate between God and me. I have, the Bible says there is one mediator, Jesus Christ. I don't have to pray to a saint tonight. I don't have to light a candle and bow myself to the image of some quote-unquote saint and have him take my prayers to God. I don't need that mediator. I have the mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know the Catholic Church calls Mary... You know the Catholic Church teaches that you should that they pray to Mary, and they this is what they call Mary. Look it up. They call Mary the Mediatrix. Isn't that blasphemous? That they would call Mary the Mediatrix when the Bible says there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Amen. We don't. I don't pray to Mary. Mary doesn't, I don't have to go to Mary to, for her to take my prayers. I can go to the Lord Jesus Christ and He understands me because He's my brother. He understands my infirmities. He understands my temptations. He understands what I'm going through. And He understands God. And He understands me. And He's a perfect mediator. And go back with me to Genesis. And, and we find Joseph filling that role of the Lord Jesus Christ yet again. Going between his brethren and between Pharaoh. Understanding both because he was both. Joseph was 100% shepherd. Shepherdman. Cattleman. Israelite. But he was, he was just as much royalty as Pharaoh was. Second most powerful man. And in this passage we start to find Joseph mediating between brethren and Pharaoh. The same way that the Lord Jesus Christ mediates between God and men. I'd like you to see, point number one is this. We only have two points tonight. Point number one is this. Preparation to meet Pharaoh. The preparation to meet Pharaoh. Look at verse 33 in Genesis 46. First thing we see is Joseph's instructions. It says, And it shall come to pass, when Pharaoh shall call you, and... And shall say, what is your occupation? This is Joseph speaking to his brothers. And he's telling them, hey look, I know Pharaoh. Because I understand Pharaoh. Because I've been working for Pharaoh for a while. And I'm, I've been in this kingdom for a while. And he says, it shall come to pass. He said, this is what's going to happen. Pharaoh's going to ask you a question. He's going to ask you, what is your occupation? And in verse 34, he says... That ye shall say, so he's instructing them. He's telling them, this is what I want you to tell Pharaoh. That ye shall say, verse 34, Thy servant's trade hath been about cattle from our youth even until now, both we and also our fathers. You see, we see Joseph's instruction to his brethren. He said, Pharaoh's going to ask you what's your occupation. I want you to tell them, that you, your trade has been about cattle from our youth even until now, both we and also our fathers. But look at the last part of verse 34. This makes you scratch your head. He says that ye may dwell in the land of Goshen. And notice what he says. For every shepherd is an abomination unto the Egyptians. So, because Joseph is Sanath Paniya, right? He understands Egypt. He understands their culture. And Joseph understands that for the Egyptians, a shepherd is an abomination. A shepherd is an outcast. A shepherd is someone they look down on. A shepherd is someone they don't really want as part of their society. And Joseph instructs his brethren that when you meet 
Pharaoh and he asks you your occupation, I want you to tell him your shepherdman. I want you to tell him your cattleman. I want you to tell him your trade has been this type of job that's going to make you an abomination before Pharaoh. Say, what is the point of this? Well, we see Joseph's instructions. Look at his intentions. You say, why is Joseph doing this? I said, number one, look at his instructions. Number two, look at his intentions. If you look at verse 34 again, he says, that ye may dwell. The, the middle part of verse 34 there. He, he says, here's why I want you to tell him this. He says, that ye may dwell in the land of Goshen. Joseph says, I want you to tell Pharaoh your shepherd men. I'm instructing you to tell Pharaoh your shepherd men. Because my intentions are that he will allow you to live, that he that ye may dwell in the land of Goshen. Goshen was a city or a, an area in Egypt. But it was separated from Egypt. It was part of Egypt, but it was separated from Egypt. And Joseph said, hey, I want you guys to live in, jo- in, in Goshen. See, this is what Joseph was saying. I want you to live in Egypt, but I don't want you to really be a part of Egypt. I want you to be in Egypt, but I want you to be separated from Egypt. And Egypt represents the world in the Bible. And God wants us, you and I, Jesus Christ, as He mediates between God and men for us, His will for our life is that, yes, we must live in the world, and we must be part of the world, but He wants us to be separated from the world. See, it's a beautiful thing that they ended up in Goshen, because Goshen ends up being a very popular place in the Bible. I'd like you very quickly uh, to go with me to Exodus. Exodus chapter number 8. Exodus chapter number 8, just the next book in the Bible. Exodus chapter number 8, and we're going to get into this as we get into the book of Exodus. But do you remember when Moses went down into Egypt after the Egyptians had made the children of Israel into slaves? And Moses went down into Egypt and he had those ten plagues of Moses, of God, that he sent to Moses, you know, the real famous ten plagues. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You guys under, all right, you're on the same. You've all seen... The Charleston Heston movie, you understand? Yeah, Alright, good. Exodus chapter number 8, look at verse 22. I mean, I mean, hopefully you've read it in the Bible, that's what I meant. Uh, Exodus chapter number 8, look at verse 22. Look what it says. Look what God said. When He's getting ready to send these plagues, look what it says in verse 22. And I will sever in that day, look what He says, the land of Goshen, in which my people dwell, that no swarm of flies shall be there. To the end thou mayest know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. The Bible says, God said, I'm going to send a plague of a swarm of flies to Egypt. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to separate Goshen. Because that's where my people live. And there's there's not going to be any flies where they live. Look at Exodus chapter number 9, look at verse 6. Exodus chapter number 9, look at verse 6. Look what the Bible says. Exodus chapter number 9. And verse 6, it says, And the Lord did that thing on the morrow. And all the cattle of Egypt died. But of the cattle of the children of Israel died not one. Do you see that? One of the plagues, the fifth plague that God sends to the Egyptians is all the cattle dies. But none of the cattle of the, Egypt, of, of the Israelites die. You're there in Exodus chapter number 9, look at verse 26. Exodus chapter number 9, look at verse 26. Actually, look at verse 25. 
And verse, verse 24, let's start there. This is plague number 7, look what it says. So there was hail, and fire mingled with the hail, very grievous, such as there was none like in the land of Egypt, since it became a nation. And the hail smote throughout all the land of Egypt, all that was in the field, both man and beast, and the hail smote every herb of the field, and brake every tree of the field. Look at verse 26. Only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, was there no hail. You see that? Isn't that very interesting? Look at Exodus chapter number 10, look at verse 23. Exodus chapter number 10, look at verse 23. Exodus chapter number 10, look at verse 23. Here we find the ninth plague. And look what it says. And Moses stretched forth his hand toward heaven. And there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They saw not one another, neither rose any from his place for three days. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. Where's their dwellings? Goshen. Isn't that amazing? God made... For in the ninth plague, he made Egypt dark. The Bible says it was so dark that they could feel the darkness. They couldn't even see their hand in front of their eyes. But in the land of Goshen, there was light. Isn't that amazing? See, Joseph understood what he was doing. Joseph said, I want you to tell Pharaoh your cattlemen. I want you to tell him your shepherd men. Because here's why. Because I want you to live in Goshen. Because Goshen, yes, it's part of Egypt. And yes, we gotta live in Egypt. But I want you to be separated from Egypt as much as possible. And that's that's what God wants for you and I. Yes, you know, I don't believe that we need to go, you know, some of these religions will go out and buy field in the middle of somewhere and start some combine and, and you know, have our little our own little Christian society. And That's not what God has called us to do. The Bible has called us to go preach the gospel to every creature. We're supposed to be part of this world, but we're supposed to be as separated as possible. They were going to live in Egypt, but they're going to be as separated from Egypt as possible. Go back to Genesis 46, look at verse 34 again. Genesis 46, look at verse 34. Look at the last phrase. It says, For every shepherd is an abomination in Egypt. The first thing that Joseph wants them to tell Pharaoh is something that will immediately make them outcasts. The first thing that Joseph wants them to tell Pharaoh is something that's going to make them an abomination unto the Egyptians. As we get into the book of Exodus, you will notice that the children of Israel start multiplying. They multiply a lot. And they, they, bring in, they get put into slavery. But have you ever noticed this? That the children of Israel never mix with the children of Egypt. I mean, later on, as they develop into a country, when they go into sin, they mix with the Amorites, they mix with all the Philistines, they, make, you know, they, they marry into all these other nations that they're not supposed to. But have you ever noticed that they never married into Egypt? They never became one with Egypt. You, you know why? Because the Egyptians wouldn't have it. Because as far as the Egyptians were concerned, those people were an abomination. As far as Egypt was concerned, those people were weird. Those people were outcasts. Those people were shepherds. They were an abomination unto the Egyptians. And that's exactly how Joseph wanted it. Joseph was trying to protect his brothers and make sure that there was no intermingling, listen very carefully, between the children of Israel, God's people, and the children of Egypt, the world. Go with me real quickly, 2 Corinthians chapter number 6. Look what the Bible says. 2 Corinthians chapter number 6. The Bible says in verse 14, 2 Corinthians chapter number 6, 
Look at verse 14. Look at what the Bible says. 2 Corinthians chapter number 6, look at verse 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. 2 Corinthians 6.14 The Bible says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. The Bible says, God does not want you yoked up with unbelievers. He says, For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, look at verse 17, Wherefore, Come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. God says, yes, you're part of the world, but I don't want you to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. That's why we don't believe that a Christian, you know, young person ought to be dating an unsaved person. You say, why can't I date an unsaved person? Because what fellowship hath darkness with light? What fellowship hath Belial with God? You ought not be unequally yoked. And the Bible says this. We are to come out from among them and be ye separate. Yes, we're in the world. But we are supposed to be separated. We are supposed to be distinct. We are supposed to be an abomination to this world. They ought to look down on us with disgust and say, we have nothing to do with them. Say, you want the world to look at us like that? They already do. If you look for God, they look at you like that. And that's exactly what Joseph wanted with his brothers. He said, hey guys, you're coming down into Egypt, but I just want to make sure we, we keep you separated. Yes, you're going to be part of the world, but I want you to make sure you stay separated. Go back with me to Genesis chapter number 46. Look at verse 47. Chapter 47, I'm sorry. Genesis chapter number 47. We said number one, Joseph prepared his brethren... for Pharaoh, to meet Pharaoh. Number two, we see Joseph presenting his brethren to Pharaoh. Look what it says in verse 1 of chapter 47. Then Joseph came and told Pharaoh, and said, My father and my brethren, and their flocks and their herds, and all that they have are come out of the land of Canaan, and behold, they are all in the land of Goshen. And he took some of his brethren, even five men, and presented them unto Pharaoh, and Pharaoh said unto his brethren, what is your occupation? Just exactly how Joseph said it was going to happen. And they said unto Pharaoh, Thy servants are shepherds, both we and also our fathers. They said moreover unto Pharaoh, For to sojourn in the land are we come, for thy servants have no pasture for their flock, for the famine is sore in the land of Canaan. Now therefore we pray thee, let thy servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Exactly how Joseph told them to do it. Look at verse 5. And Pharaoh spake unto Joseph, saying, Thy father and thy brother are come unto thee. The land of Egypt was before thee. In the best of the land, make thy father and brethren to dwell. In the land of Goshen, let them dwell. And then notice the very next phrase in verse 6. Pharaoh is talking to Joseph and he says, And if thou knowest any, make note of these three words, men of activity among them, then make them rulers over my cattle. Do you know that Joseph is the best worker Pharaoh ever had? Joseph is the most productive worker Pharaoh ever had. Joseph has made Pharaoh more money than any other worker he ever had. 
And Joseph looks at Pharaoh. I'm sorry, Pharaoh looks at Joseph. And he says, hey, your brothers are coming? That's fine. They want to live in Goshen? Go at it. They're herdsmen? Keep them kind of away from us anyway. But he said, but let me tell you something, Joseph. You're the best employee I've ever had. You're the hardest worker I've ever known. You're the most successful man I could have working for me. I mean, since you've been with me, you've prospered me, and you've helped me, and you've grown our kingdom, our business here. And he says, Joseph, if you know any of your brothers, if any of your brothers are like you, if any of them are men of activity, he said, hey, put them in charge of a few things. Look what he said. Last part of verse 46. And if thou knowest any men of activity among them, then make them rulers over my cattle. He says, if you've got any men, any brothers who are men of activity, I want you to put them to work. Let me tell you something. This is what Christians ought to be known as. Christians ought to be known as the hardest working, the most loyal working men and women of activity. You know, we have to be very careful to not be lazy people and to not raise lazy people. Now, I'll say, my wife and I were talking about this this afternoon, but you know, when I was nine, ten years old, I remember working with my dad. And when I say working with my dad, I meant he was working a lot and I was just kind of holding the flashlight. You know? Why do you have your son hold the flashlight so he stays out of the way? <laughs> You know, you give him a task to do, and then, you know... I was, I was running back and forth and getting a lot of tools, which is hard when you don't know what the names of the tools are, you know? But hey, you know what? I appreciate being a child and being able to go with... My, I remember me and my brother would go with my, with my dad, and we'd, you know, he'd have a dad in the penny saver, and he'd be doing all sorts of... You know, he's a handyman, so he did all sorts of things. Cabinet work, installing windows, and making friends, and things like that. And everywhere we went, we'd be with him, working. You say, why? Because he was trying to raise men of activity. And you know what, today, I don't have a struggle or an issue with working. You know, honestly, I find it easier to wake up in the morning, early in the morning to go to work, than I, than I find it to get up early in the morning to, like, go do something else that I want to do. Like, most people, like, they don't want to get up in the morning and go to work, but, like, if they're going camping, man, they're up at four in the morning, they're excited. Man, if I'm going camping, or if I'm going on vacation... I dread getting up early in the morning. I'm like, ah, it's not worth it. But for some reason, if I have to be up at 4 in the morning to go to work, no problem. You say, why? Because I was raised to work. I was raised to be a hard worker. I was talking to my, my wife, and we were talking about, you know, when my wife was 10 years old, she was expected to clean the entire house, to be able to clean the entire house. Dust, vacuum, wash the dishes, you know, do everything. Do it. She could do laundry. She could, you know, do all of it as a 10-year-old girl. But today we have people raising lazy children. You know, they're 13, 14, 15 years old, and they can't do anything. They, you know, oh, I can't expect my 17-year-old to make his bed. That's ridiculous. We ought to raise and we ought to be men and women of activity. That, you know, the Bible says when you find, you know, whatever thy hand finds to do, do it with all thy might. And you ought to not be afraid of work. You ought to get to work. Anything you do, do it with all your might. You know, study these men in the Bible that worked for pagan kings. Joseph, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. All these men that, you know, Esther. These people that, that you know, had, uh, that, that had uh, you know, roles and had uh, positions of authority in these pagan nations. And they were always the hardest working people. They were always the most successful people. Daniel was the most successful man that, that ran those kingdoms there. Why? Because they were men of activity. 
And today, Christians are known as lazy people. Today, you know, what, what do you hear all the time? Don't do business with Christians, they'll rip you off. And it's true, I've done business with Christians and I've been ripped off. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not in the place where if I'm hiring somebody, if I find out they're a Christian, man, I'm worried about them. I'd, I'd rather go with the, you know, you, you're like going through Yellow Pages because you need to hire somebody, they have that little fish. I skip that guy, you know. I'm looking for the guy with the little devils because I, I know he's at least going to work. That's, but that's a sad statement to me. The, jo- Pharaoh looked at Joseph and he said, if you've got men of activity, I want you to put them in charge of something. Because they're, they're hardworking. And that's what you should be known as today. Today, we need to be men and women of activity. We need to get to work. We need to be busy. We need to be doing something, accomplishing something. Joseph presented his brothers to Pharaoh. And then lastly, Joseph presented his father to Pharaoh. Look at verse number 7. The Bible says, And Joseph brought in Jacob his father... And I want you to make note of this word. It says, And set him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. I want you to notice something. Hey, can you imagine Jacob? He's an old man. Work, a hard worker. If you've been with us, if you're with us when we were preaching through the life of Jacob, Jacob was a hard, hard working man. And can you imagine this old man? You know, I, I, when I imagine Jacob, I imagine his skin is like leather. You know what I mean? Like he's just been beat in the sun. You know, maybe scarred up and wrinkled. You know, we know that he's limping from that wrestling match he had with the angel of the Lord. Could you imagine this old man? You know, he's probably dressed in the, in the nicest apparel that Joseph could find. But this old man walking, limping, you know, kneeling on, on, on a cane, walking in to the kingdom, walking in to the palace, walking straight down the aisle to the most powerful man that has ever, you know, that, that ran the earth at this time. You know, the Bible doesn't tell us this, but I can imagine that in this presence, there are all sorts of different people there. There are all sorts of different, you know, entourage and all these different people dressed nice. And, all. and as this old man comes in, I would expect that someone would fall on their knees before Pharaoh. But to my surprise, the Bible says in verse 7, And Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and set him before Pharaoh. Notice he didn't bow a knee. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Now here's what you got to understand about a blessing. And go with, you know, go with me real quickly. Let's go back to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter number 7. Let me show you something about blessing. Hebrews chapter number 7. Look at verse 7. Hebrews chapter number 7. Look at verse 7. Look at what the Bible says. Actually, look at verse 6. The Bible says, But he whose descent is not counted from them received tithes of Abraham and blessed him that he had promises. Look at verse number 7. And without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. Do you see that? The last, the Bible says, Hebrews chapter number 7, verse 7, and without all contradiction, the last is blessed of the better. A blessing always came. The better blessed the less. Does that make, do you understand what I'm saying? 
You don't find in the Bible a son blessing his father. You find in the Bible a father blessing their son. Why? Because their son was less than them. Their son was, you know, when it came to authority status, they were on the bottom of the totem pole. Alright? You know, you, you as an employee wouldn't bless your boss. Your boss would bless you. Does that make sense? The Bible says in verse 7 of Hebrews chapter 7, And without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. So the person doing the blessing is better than the person getting blessed. And the person getting blessed is less than the person doing the blessing. Now with that in mind, go back to he, uh, Genesis chapter 47, and look at what this old man does. He walks into the presence of Pharaoh, the ruler of the world, doesn't pal, and the Bible says, Jacob blessed Pharaoh. You know what he was telling Pharaoh? He was saying, I am better than you. You know what Jacob was telling Pharaoh? Go, go with me to Genesis chapter number 32. Look at verse 28. Genesis chapter number 32. Look at verse 28. Pharaoh, Jacob, was telling Pharaoh, this is what he was saying, Pharaoh, you may be a prince and have power with men, but he said, I'm a prince and I have power with God and men. Look at Genesis 32, 28. Do you remember when, when Jacob met with God? When he wrestled with the angel of the Lord? Remember when God changed his name? Look at verse 28. The Bible says, And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. It says, For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. God told Jacob, hey, you are a prince and you have power with God. And here's what, here's what, what you what, need to understand. The average person would be walking up to Pharaoh and thinking, am I going to impress him? Is he going to like me? Is he going to think that, you know, is he going to want to be my friend? Oh, he's so, he's so rich and he's so powerful and he's so, you know, he's this world man. But Jacob didn't walk in that way. Jacob walked in erect and thinking to himself, you know, I'm not impressed with Pharaoh. I'm here to bless Pharaoh because he may be a prince and he may have power here on earth but I'm a prince and I have power with God and you know what I'm tired with about Christianity when I'm tired with Christians go with me to Revelation chapter number 1 Revelation the last uh, book in the in the Bible Revelation chapter number 1 you know what I'm tired about with Christians as I'm sick and tired of Christians acting like the world is so big and bad acting like the world is so wonderful Christians admire you know the, the worldly singer oh you know so and so he's such a you know, he's so cute, and his voice is so nice, or so-and-so, you know, they got so much money, or this president, or that president, and we act like they've got something to offer. The Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 1, and verse 5, the Bible says, And from Jesus Christ, who is a faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us, and washed us from our sins in his own blood, look at verse number 6, and hath made us, that's you and me. And hath made us kings and priests unto God and His Father to Him. Be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The Bible says that God has made you kings. Has made you priests. And I'm tired of Christians walking around thinking like we've got something to be embarrassed about. Like we've got something to be ashamed about. Like this world has something that we should admire or that we should want or that we should lust after or covet. 
prince on earth, but Jacob's a prince with God. And the sooner you understand that, this world has nothing to offer. Pharaoh, we don't even want to live in Egypt. We'll take Goshen. We'll be an abomination. We'll be different. <clears throat> Look at one more thing. Genesis chapter 47. Look at what it says. Genesis 47. Look at verse 7. And Joseph brought in Jacob his father and sent him before Pharaoh and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Look at verse 10. Actually, you know, look at verse 8. I want you to see this. Jacob understood that he was better than Pharaoh. But notice he wasn't arrogant about it. And Pharaoh said unto Jacob, How old art thou? And Jacob said unto Pharaoh, The days of the years of my pilgrimage are in hundred and thirty years. Few and evil have the days of the years of my life been, and I'm not attained unto the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their pilgrimage. He's very humble. Now, truth be told, if Jacob really thought about it, when Abraham went to Egypt, Abraham was thrown out of Egypt by the Pharaoh because of his sin. Jacob comes into Egypt and he blesses Pharaoh. Really, Jacob was a, mighty, was, a, was a better man at this point in life than his father's. But notice he doesn't say that. He says, hey, you know, I'm in 130 years. Few and evil have the days of the years of my life been. And I'm not attained unto the days of the years of the life of my father. In the days of their pilgrimage. He's a very humble man. Now look at verse 10. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from before Pharaoh. Here's what I want you to see. Jacob comes into the presence of Pharaoh and he blesses Pharaoh. And Jacob leaves the presence of Pharaoh and he blesses Pharaoh. And you know, your life and my life as Christian, as Christians, we ought to have a life that as we come before this world, we ought to have a blessing for them. And as we leave, we ought to have a blessing for them. Let me ask you something. Does your life bless anybody? Is your life a blessing to this world? Because here was a man who was a shepherd, who was an abomination, who was a disgrace, who was an outcast, and yet as he walks into the presence of Pharaoh, he blesses him, and as he walks, and as he leaves the presence of Pharaoh, he blesses him. And you and I, even though we're called out and separated from this world, we still have to have a testimony where everywhere we go, we're a blessing to people, and when we leave, we leave a blessing behind. Jacob, Jacob's a different man than the Jacob we met when we first met Jacob. Very powerful man. Very old and wise man. He walks into the presence of Pharaoh, blesses him, has a few words, blesses him. And the whole time understanding, the lesser is blessed of the better. And that's you and I. God, we're not better because we're better than anyone else. We're better because of our position in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ought to live like it. We ought not live a life of intimidation in this world or being impressed with this world. They ought to be intimidated and impressed with us. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Dearly Father, thank you Lord so much for your Bible. And Lord, just, I'm amazed every time that I get an opportunity to study your word, just how you speak to us and how you use it. And Father, I pray you'd help us all to walk like Jacob. Maybe with a limp from this world, but with the confidence that comes from God. 
Father, we love you. In your precious name I pray. Amen.